You must tell me all your secrets. Remember, we must share everything together. from the unknown and they're here now hiding waiting to strike you can feel their presence all around you <clears throat> never before have you come this close to the edge of terror Never before have you faced anything so strange and sinister, so bizarre and unnerving. Never until now. David Cronenberg's The Brood. Are you ready for me, Frank? I seem to be a very special person now. I'm in the middle of a strange adventure. I want to go with you wherever you go. Do you? Yes. And hello again. Welcome back to <laughs> Girls, Guts, and Giallo. This is going to be an episode where I can't stop laughing because I am with my very good friend, <laughs> Elizabeth Zito. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Um, but you can call me Liz, actually. Oh, okay. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> Off to a good start. <laughs> so Liz and I are talking today about the Brood, mm-hmm, the 1979 mm-hmm. written and directed David Cronenberg film, The Brood. Mm-hmm. Liz, before we start yes. talking about The Brood, who are you? Oh what do you, what I do don't you, know. What I don't do you even do? know how I got Who are here? you? How did you get here? Um, I am, I would, I would describe myself as a multimedia artist um, and humorist living here in Brooklyn, New York. Um... But we met in a graduate school. Cursed graduate program. Cursed, cursed graduate school getting our master's um, in video. Um, in bullshit. In bullshit. <laughs> but look where it got us. Talking look. about the brood here today. It's amazing. Broadcasting from Lizito's Williamsburg kitchen. Yes. Um, but I am, a, I am a huge horror enthusiast. Um, and I use a lot of tropes in my own work, um, which Annie has also been in. Yes, tell us about Wolf's Canyon. Oh, okay. So Wolf's Canyon um, was my graduate thesis. It was basically like a uh, three-part web series about um, a girl named Courtney who um, was new in town in Wolf's Canyon, Oregon, when all types of haunted... Um, adventures happen and um i haven't talked about wolf's canyon in a really fucking long time um, i love wolf's canyon <laughs> but anyway so so you know is your basic like high school just your basic basic high school buffy the vampire slayer um era kind of inspired 
series and Annie played my guidance counselor <laughs> who guided me through an alien pregnancy. I did, I did, but I was secretly plotting against you. Uh, yeah. Snyder. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Snyder. Yeah. Don't you guys want to listen to all of our inside jokes? <laughs> Isn't that super entertaining for you? But you can check out Annie and Wolf's Canyon um, under the Wolf's Canyon tab in, on uh, lizito.com if um if there's that's really like the only reason to check to check out Wolf's Canyon is to see Annie <laughs> perform as um, Principal Snyder. It's Principal Snyder, which I'm pretty sure I stole from <laughs> Buffy subconsciously when we did that. We were drinking quite heavily <sighs> on that shoot. So anyway. Anyway. Check it out. Come. Check it out. Um, yes. So that's how we know each other. And when you first came into our graduate program, I was like, who is this cool girl? Yeah. Because everybody sucked. Yeah. So. Just um, trauma sisters from the start. Yeah. I think we talked about how we never had umbre- no umbrella bitches. Yeah. 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 I I wrote a poem about you called Two Broken Bitches. <laughs> We never, we just like always show up like, you know, never with an umbrella in the rain. Disheveled. Disheveled. Trying to keep it together. Trying to keep it together. And uh, what a pair we (laughs) made. Yeah. (laughs) So, The Brood. Right, right, right. Um, Why did we pick this movie? When did you first see The Brood? What did you, like, what did you think when you saw it? What did you feel? I think I was, I think I was introduced to Cronenberg with Videodrome, like, a lot of people um, and intrigued by that. Um, and then just doing in more research, I think watching The Brood was like probably like I, I felt like the most engaged in a film in a really long time. Um, and I felt like uh, two years ago I had a birthday party where we watched The Brood and we painted our nails. I believe you I remember too. I was there um, because I felt like I really needed to share the brood with my personal brood um, of women your broodlets <laughs> my broodlets and then the I, broodlets <laughs> and then I feel like every time I like I like forget about the brood and then I remember that it's a movie and then I re-engage with it and I feel like I learn something new every time um, about like how you can hate women <laughs> And to the levels you can There's take. There's so that many hatred. ways you can hate women. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's yeah, it's um, it's really astonishing. Oh, yeah, um, well, maybe that should be like the overarching theme. The question that we address in this episode is: Does this movie hate women? Yeah. Um, does David Cronenberg hate women? Oh, who cares? Does the movie yeah, hate women? Yeah. Or I was like, I just assume all men hate women. Yeah. Or I was thinking <laughs> the idea of like the she devil, like yeah, the woman of the yeah. devil. Oh, absolutely. And, like, yeah. yeah. The ultimate like evil boss. Yes, we will talk about that. And I saw the brood on my part in college uh, because it was on 100 Scariest Movie Moments on Bravo. Do you remember that show? I've talked about it yeah, a bunch yeah, on the podcast. Yeah. And it just looked terrifying. I watched it. I absolutely loved it. My friends hated me for making them watch it. And I just love this movie. I think it's, um, I'm going to say his best. Yeah. That's my opinion. Um, I don't know if that's contentious or not. I don't know what the consensus on Cronenberg's work is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like, they're all his worst movie. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, like I'm a huge David Cronenberg fan. Um, I'm a huge fan of his work. I don't yes. know about him as a person. Yes, I would say so too. Yeah, yeah, aesthetically and like um, the way he tells the story, I find really engaging. Except I definitely don't watch any of his new stuff. I don't even know what he's doing right now. I don't know. Like Robert Pattinson was in something, and okay. I was just like, no. Maybe I'll check it out. Oh, I don't. Yeah. I don't <laughs> you found that intriguing. I don't know. Our Pats is in a David Cronenberg movie. I'm kind of interested yeah. to know what that would be like. Yeah. Check it out. Let me know. Yeah. It's like, what? I'm so unprepared. I am usually, I feel like, super prepared for these episodes, but because I'm moving soon, mm. I've just. I mean, I think I'm prepared for this because I've seen this movie a million times. I've read a lot of books <laughs> that reference yeah. it. But in terms of actual factual background, yeah. I'm not as prepared as I usually am just because I just haven't been. Yeah. I mean, I do this, you know, basically for yeah. free except for my Patreon. Well, but it's like you can take a cue from Cronenberg and the fake science that he puts <laughs> in his films and this just could be like fake knowledge about fake Cronenberg. Knowledge. <laughs> Did you know? <laughs> He so, made that film on the moon. <laughs> so let's talk about a little bit of the making of The Brood, and then we'll get into the plot. So 1979, Great. it's a Canadian film. What we learned from watching this like mini documentary about the making of The Brood was at this time in the 70s, Canada was like a tax shelter. Mm. Um. I, I didn't quite get what that coot, that old coot was saying was so in that boring. documentary. It was very boring. But he, one of the producers was talking about how Canada was a tax shelter for people making movies. I don't know what he was getting at. He was very hard to understand. So you can make like cheap movies in Canada, basically. Okay, yeah. And then like when tax season comes around, you just hide out there making your movie and like yeah. you don't have to pay film tax or you something just, like write it off i don't know yeah anyway that was sort of maybe would have been more interesting if that guy wasn't talking about it yeah uh starring oliver reed samantha egger and art hindle uh british actors british actors was art hindle a british actor i thought he was american oh yeah he was probably american Let now that see. i think about it no he's canadian oh. america light We've done oh no God. research. Yeah, no, no. We we have. We have. We watched a documentary about it. So. The Brood starring Art Hindle. Okay. No. Art Hindle is Canadian. Samantha Egger and Oliver Reed are English. They actually grew up in the same town, which is oh, yeah. got the most English name in the world that I don't remember. It was like West Buckinghamshire <laughs> or something. Something of that nature. Uh, it was conceived by Cronenberg after his very tumultuous divorce, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, which I did not know. He also said that this was like his version of Kramer versus Kramer. Ooh. Yeah. So apparently he right before this, the filming of this, he like had to rescue his daughter from a cult that his wife was a part of. In California. In California, yeah. So that's what inspired this lovely film. I mean, the hate is real. Um, But it is really interesting. I knew that this film was about his divorce, but I I didn't know that it was like there was this element of rescuing his daughter from a cult in California, which made me kind of also think about like, well, I mean, which we'll get to, like the demonization of the of the wife 
But um, I mean, like, I was just like thinking about what it would be like to join a cult. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I have to imagine at this time, just from what I know uh, historically, like the 70s, right? You get a lot of cults coming out of that time, like post 60s, post Manson family shit. Right, right. And um, probably a lot of cults using like psychology language because yeah. psychology. I mean, psychology was, like, on the rise since the end of the 50s. Um, We get, like, AA, we get NA, we get, like, an actual understanding of mental illness. And probably there were a lot of groups using psychology as a way to control people, as there still are. But I would imagine at that time it was just a huge boom of all of that. So that makes a lot of sense. Right. But, like, not necessarily, like, any sympathy towards, like, the state of mind that somebody would be in to join a cult. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Like, why did David Cronenberg's wife join a cult? Yeah. It's like, like, why did she run away from him with his daughter? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It's, you know. Watch the brood and find out. <laughs> Like, I want to know more about that story. By the way, whenever you hear, like, those shaking sounds, that is Liz's nightmare dog. Yeah. Green Puff. Yeah, she's the goblin. Yeah. So she'll be around, you know, and you'll just deal with it because... You have no choice. You have no choice. Neither does none of us do. Uh, What else about the production of The Brood? So (laughs) Samantha Egger, who plays Nola in the film and who is a huge part of the movie, actually only filmed for four days all of her parts. Yeah, impressive. Yeah. There's a a great score by Howard Shore. I love the music in this movie. Mm -hmm. The music is great. The music's really great. And Oliver Reed is a hunk, hunk of a man in this. And apparently Oliver Reed got into some shenanigans during the filming of this. Like he bet somebody that he could walk from a hotel to a bar completely naked and he got arrested. He was an alcoholic. Yeah. So he's like the the like the drunk on set. Yeah. Yeah. So there was some tension there, but I think everybody loved him so much yeah, that they were like, like, like like some tomfoolery. Just like a you know, just like a fun drunk. Yeah, like, they're like, ah, oh, Oliver Reed. Right. Yeah, no, yeah. you know him. Yeah. yeah. And there's great practical effects, mm-hmm. which we can t- add some tidbits once we get into the plot because we watch that doc. So we know. Oh, yeah. We're so informed here. So informed, <laughs> right? And that's the brood. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> I'm trying. Anyway. Is there anything else about the production that is interesting? That is what I gleaned from my research. Those were the most interesting things to me. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to jump. I mean, let's like talk. Yeah, like, let's, let's, yeah just get let's just get into it, man. Fucking meat and potatoes of this shit. Yeah, because there's so much to talk about. Yes. So <laughs> I now I have my my detailed notes up here. So we open, got this very horny opening, in my opinion, uh, and psychotherapist Hal Rag- Raglin, Raglin, yes. played by Oliver Reed, runs this institute called the Soma Free Institute, where he performs a technique called psychoplasmics, encouraging patients with mental disturbances to let go of their suppressed emotions through physiological changes to their bodies. 
Oh yeah, this opening. This is like the daddy, daddy issues. Daddy, opening. daddy issue. Well, so many daddy issues in this film too. So many mommy and daddy issues um, in this. But film. there's this this film. It opens up with a little bit of like you know role play. Role play. Yeah, Raglan is role playing. Um, to a group of viewers, this technique that he has, the psychoplasmic technique that he has, where he's embodying this patient, Michael's abusive father, and he's berating him until he starts manifesting these psychoplasmic lesions all over his body. Yes. Like, in front of everybody's face. So the first thing I thought of during this opening, this on this watch, was the, the name of the institute, the Soma Free Institute. Mm-hmm. And I thought that this must have something to do with somatics, like mm-hmm. somatic therapy, mm-hmm. which I don't, I full disclosure, I have not ever done somatic therapy. I don't even know what it is. Can you tell me? Yeah. So from, in my understanding, from researching it and um, just having friends who have gone through it, you basically do a series of movements that are supposed to put you back in the uh, the mindset of your trauma mm-hmm. so that you can work through it. And or it, so there's different techniques and the uh, some in some somatics or I, I mean, I think you're releasing it with your body because mm-hmm. what like, for example, the example I've I've read is when an animal gets traumatized, like almost killed by a predator, the animal like runs for miles and miles and miles and like works off the trauma, like just works through it in that moment. Mm-hmm. Whereas humans, when something traumatic happens to us, we kind of repress it right, and like please. keep it in our bodies. Right. So that's why a lot of the time people who have a lot of trauma, like your hosts. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, yeah, like let's talk about trauma work. Like, let's yeah, relive let's those do memories. it. Let's do it. Yeah. Um, you keep the tension in your body. That's why, like, a lot of the time your jaw feels locked. Like, you yeah. just feel clenched. A lot of people say when they go through somatic therapy for the first time that they feel, like, released, like, mm. finally relaxed. Mm-hmm. Like, the trauma has actually left their body in some way. So I am very interested in trying somatic therapy. I just never have. Is it like hypnotic at all? I don't think it's hypnotic. I think it's just you do a series of movements that somebody guides you through Mm. that are supposed to activate this response. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I also thought about (laughs) how cult-like that can get, right? Because we know from that residency we did, you know, I'm not going to name her by name. Oh, yeah, the residents. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, you know, that people can get very cult-like about that stuff. Yeah. So I wonder if that, if there is some correlation yeah. there in the, the name of the Soma Free Institute. Oh, that's so interesting. And then, like, yeah, and then the person who's, like, leading you through this therapy then becomes, like... Your go- guru. Yeah, yeah, yeah. to yeah. you. And you, you are, can't like, do it without them. You can't do it without them. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like, that video that the woman at the residency made us watch... Yeah. ...is, is a form of somatics. Yeah. But that was a cult. Yeah. But... <laughs> 
I just like getting in a room with people in general freaks me out. So like the idea of getting in a room and being touched and taken through some type of therapy, yeah. I feel like it's hard. It that's hard for me. Yeah. But like you know, um, I actually I am really interested in trauma work. I think we all, I mean, like to different levels, go through that in our lives and like re- and like re-engaging with those feelings and like learning how to embrace them and open up with them is like a really interesting and important part of um you know working through mental health absolutely yeah no I'm definitely interested in doing that work outside of a in a safe environment yeah and so then it's like twisting back to like also like Cronenberg's probably like perception of like mental health and then psychiatry and therapy and like what he thinks about like that type of work and yeah. Right. Yeah, I wonder what this cult was that his wife was part of. I don't deny it's a cult. I just wonder what the nature of it was and if it had anything to do with somatics. Yeah. That's my f- feel like, you know, that might be part of it. So the lesions on Michael, this patient, they right. break out like right before our eyes uh, and get worse as he's moving through these hard feelings where Hal Raglan is playing his father and he's like... I shouldn't even call you Michael. I should call you Michelle. The <laughs> things only a daddy would know. Yeah. <laughs> it's very horny. I don't. It's so horny. It's really kinky. The opening, like, uh, very, very. Get it, daddy? Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, uh, this is one of my favorite scenes in any film. Yeah. I think it's just great. Like, Oliver Reed's acting yeah. is incredible, as is Michael's, which, apologies, I don't know the actor's name. Um, who cares? Who cares? <laughs> uh, yes. So I love also in the beginning the aesthetic of the film, like mm-hmm. very bland seventies beige that I just love. Like that is the whole movie. Yeah, that's one of the biggest things about this movie that I always remember is the color palette. Yeah. Um, yeah, and like the color palette and like the the fashion choices and oh, like yeah. the way that those two things tie into each other, like as you're watching the film. Um It makes the moments of violence so much more shocking because everything is so bland and yeah. beige that like when there's this red violence, it's just right. like very and there's like a starkness in his other films that he made around this time too. Mm-hmm. I think with that like kind of like this idea of like this the scientific subject and yeah. like this like this like the like interview and the performance and then the kind of like um sterility. Yeah, I mean you can sort of track Cronenberg's through all of his work what the aesthetic of science was during the <laughs> decade that he's making the film in like it's true. when we think of 70s scientific study we think of these like bland beige buildings yeah and then we kind of move into uh like in the 90s with dead ringers if i'm getting that correctly when the movie was released Mm -hmm. we get into more of this like industrial cold yeah kind of erotic thriller aesthetic that he goes for uh anyway i really enjoy and like the more recent stuff feels like really kind of cold and like computery computery yes (laughs) 
Well, if you if you watch any sci-fi movies from this time, like 70s, early 80s, it's all got that kind of like bland, beige aesthetic. Like yeah. I just watched this movie called Demon Seed. Have you seen that, Liz? Oh my god, have I? I really wish you didn't have somewhere to go today so I could watch this movie with you, but it's so fucked up. Watch Demon Seed, everyone. I'm trying to think of it as, like, something I've seen. But also, like, talking about, like, the colors, um, I, like, recently, like, decided to just, I was, like, filming something where I wanted fake blood, but I just used, like, red paint instead. <laughs> and I feel like that's, like, a similar thing, like, yeah. just to have that, like, like bright color within, mm-hmm. like, the bland. Yeah, I just, love like, it. Just, like, make it pop. Make it pop. Yeah. So <laughs> we meet Frank, the husband of one of the patients, who was also one of the viewers in this audience. Frank's wife, Nola Carveth, is a severely disturbed woman who is one of Dr. Raglan's patients. Frank currently has custody over their daughter, Candace. And we, we get this scene where he is bathing her. And he sees these bruises and scratches on her body, which he assumes are from Nola because they were just at the Institute visiting her because the kid hasn't seen anyone else. So now we get back to we're cut back to Dr. Raglan, who's back at the Institute in his robe being a hunk. Mm -hmm. I just cannot emphasize how hunky Oliver Reed is in this movie. I mean, just like come for Oliver Reed and like stay for stay demon, for the lesions, <laughs> stay for the lesions, yeah. demon children, and and the rage babies, and his twink named Chris, <laughs> his like twink assistant, uh, informs him that Frank is there and wants a word with him. Okay, is Oliver Reed queer coded in this movie? I feel like he's having an affair with the twink assistant. Yeah, I mean, like I I feel like there should be a spinoff. Yeah, I just get this vibe, right? That he's gay. In the yeah, film. yeah, yeah. Like, which good. Yeah. And <laughs> all, that's all I gotta say about that. It just like makes me more engaged. Absolutely. That there are these like there's this like underlying like love story. Yes, happening. between him and Chris. Yeah. yeah, and like we can never really access it, but we know it's there. Yes, absolutely. That's a kind of what I was thinking. Yeah. What happens to Chris? Nothing. Oh my god. Yeah. He's probably devastated. He was devastated. One <sighs> one. It's true. That's all I kept thinking about was just like, who is Chris? This, he's just around. Chris. <laughs> always in his room, always in <laughs> Oliver Reed's room. So Frank is there to tell Dr. Raglan that he intends to keep Candace from visiting Nola because he thinks Nola is hurting her. Um, Dr. Raglan implores Frank to not stop visitations, but Frank basically tells him to fuck off and that mm. he's going to anyway. So what do we learn about Raglan as a character in this scene. How do you feel about him? I mean, I feel like this is the point where we, um, like, I mean, he's like the boss, like there is, he's the boss, he's the big boss daddy. (laughs) I mean, what did we learn about him? (laughs) He's he's the big boss daddy. He is also... (laughs) He's really, he really thinks he's got, he's onto something here. That's the other thing I wanted to talk about is like, is Raglan a villain? Right? Because 
he's complicated as a character and i think he really thinks that he's helping her in this scene well it's not even like about it's about like his project yes. which is this like plasma plasmathetics a psychoplasmic <laughs> he's and he, psychoplasmic he's worried that she will, you know, her progress will be hindered right. if she so doesn't get to see like her daughter. So she's like his prize patient where like this process is like the most successful. He's seen the most success out of this patient. And like part of that success has to do with these interactions with the daughter who is coming in and having staying at the hospital with the mother on the weekends. So I don't think that he really sees them as people as much as this is like at this point his experiment his experiment yeah and he's a father figure to all of these patients right like he really is big daddy boss boss. he is and he's but he's very like soothing he's not an angry man he's ideal daddy like taking care of you yeah I mean, like, I think, like, the patients, to one extent, like, or um, know that there's some type of, like, power control, like, dynamic within the Institute, but at the same time, they would never, it's, like, the culty, like, they would never want to leave or, like, not be involved in this, like, relationship with this person. Yes. Yeah. So Frank, my note here says Frank visits his Jewish lawyer who tells him to make nice with Raglan because it could get ugly. The rule that I just had to crack up because the lawyer is just like, you got to be a real mensch, Frank. <laughs> it's like, OK, that's, that's when like, very the, pointed the, detail. Like, the Jewish filmmaker. Comes yeah, in. absolutely. Yeah. A very funny. So he Frank says he wants to dig up dirt on the Soma Free Institute so that Candace doesn't have to keep going back there. Frank picks Candy up from school and we meet her hot 70s babe teacher. Oh, yeah. She'll describe the teacher for us. Um, She probably has, like, I would say one of my top five ideal haircuts, which is kind of like... um. I would say it's like a seven, like a, like a really slick seventies mullet. It's like very kind of like pixie short, some some like kind of like points at the ears, and then like this like beautiful like almost um, who's the mother from the Brady Bunch, but like so much. Oh better. yeah, very Mrs. Brady, Mrs. Brady style. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's like, but it's also kind of like punk rock and badass, and you're like. Where did this woman come from? Yeah. Like, you're immediately engaged. She's got this hippie outfit on. Yeah. Yeah, long kind of, like, culottes, maybe. She's got this, like, like, skirt with this batik print peasant blouse. (laughs) Yeah, she's she's a babe. You can, like, really get into, like, the fashion in this film. And, like, the choices that are made um, are, like, really spot on. And I think, like, adding to, like, the engagement with, like, the weirdness of it, like... How do you take such, like, strange subject matter and keep people engaged in this way? And I think, like, having, like, a great 70s mullet is, like... Great 70s mullet. Yeah. Yeah, great hair in this movie, too. Yeah. Everybody has really good hair. There's obvious sexual tension between Frank and the teacher. Oh, yeah. Uh, Frank brings Candy over to Nola's mother's house. Right. Whose name is Juliana, I want to say. Sounds good. It sounds good. And... The most, the, it, she's got the most mint green living, 70s living room ever. Oh my God, yes, in this house. And yeah. she's got on this chunky jewelry. 
Oh, yeah. Uh, and she is crying to Frank about Nola, blaming her for everything, and that she doesn't remember the abuse that Nola accuses her of, basically. Yeah. So what are your impression of this sequence here? What do you think? Like, do you think this mother was an abuser? I feel like we it's very ambiguous in the film. It is ambiguous, but they do have her like they pour her like the most giant drink. Like whenever she's drinking, she has like it's like very like extra the amount of alcohol in that glass. So I think they are like implying that she's an alcoholic, um, which is like why she she doesn't remember. But at the same time, the question is also like, why is this woman taking care of the child? Like, why is this woman so, like the the you kind of in Nola's description of her, you don't imagine that she's still a part of their lives. Yes, as like much as she is, and and the father too. Um, so that was kind of a surprise to me, like when watching the film was like, oh, this woman, this character is like still very much her mother is still very much a part of her life that was so abusive to her. Well, yeah. And I also think part of why Nola is so mentally unwell is from having this woman still be yeah. in her life so and around ingrained. and not and nobody really caring. Like Frank as a character is also interesting in this, too, because I think I find him to just be so emotionless. Mm hmm. Which I don't know if that is on purpose or not. I think it must be. It must be in order to kind of like tap into all these different elements of the story that are going on and like be able to navigate that. Um, But I was also thinking it's really interesting that like all of the characters that we've met are these like, like are like all the characters are of women are mothers or like school teacher, uh-huh. which is like another very like motherly figure, which yeah. is like why he's you know attracted to her. Yeah, like ooh, a new mommy, new mommy, new mommy. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he knows he's got to get a new mommy. Yeah, he can't raise that kid himself. He's um, like immediately getting a new mother. <laughs> yeah. And, like, we're kind of, like, rooting for it because she's got that great haircut. Right. I, like, hate Frank, honestly. I know. I'm just like, Frank, deal with your problems. I know. (laughs) Like, stop trying to get, like, another woman in here to, like, clean up your mess. He's always pawning Candy off on other women. Yeah, just, like, spend time with Candy. Well, that's the other thing about this film is, like, how I think the film does have a lot of misogynist messaging. But at the same time, I think it's very critical of the men in the film Mm -hmm. because Frank keeps pawning his kid off on all of these women. And Mm -hmm. I think that that's a huge part of the film. And when the violence happens, Mm -hmm. when he pawns his kid off on people Mm -hmm. and doesn't take responsibility for her. And also Hal is responsible for everything that happens really in the film. So it's kind of a... This is kind of like what I was talking about when I did Antichrist. Right. There's an awareness of the misogyny. Yeah. That is strange. Yeah. It's like when a a misogynist man makes a movie about being a misogynist. Yeah. Like in a self-aware yeah. kind of way. I think that's important. I think that's probably why you can get through the misogyny, I think. Like, yeah. As a woman watching like all of these films and feeling these things, um, like there has to be something there that's like kind of some type of rectification but yeah the um frank he he's always the he's always like racing to like save the day at the end much like 
you can see like Cronenberg like going yeah, to like but he's his, save his the attempts chi- are futile. Yeah, it's yeah. like it's you know instead of being there throughout this whole process, it's like no, I'm gonna save. I'm gonna be like the savior at the end. Um, where Frank isn't spending all this time with Candy, he's pawning her off on other people, and then like it then go, then has to like go and rescue her multiple times. Yes. Absolutely. Instead of just like keeping her by his side. Yeah, instead of just taking care of his kid. So <laughs> uh, Frank leaves. He leaves Candy with uh, the, the grandmother. And Hal, back at the Soma Free Institute, Hal and Nola are role playing in what looks to be like a sweat lodge, <laughs> as this, this whole institute does. I know, like a sauna. Yeah. Just lots of, yeah. I mean, that's another thing that's very, like, 70s cult psychology-ish. Yeah. Like, just going in the sweat lodge. Yeah, a lot of it. wood paneling. Yeah, exactly. And I just watched Scanners also, and the yeah. uh, the aesthetic of that movie is super similar yeah, to this yeah. one. When was that made? 81, I want to okay. say. So Hal role plays as Candy to get Nola to talk about the abuse that she's experienced from her mother. And he encourages Nola to feel rage and move through it. So yeah. we see what his sessions with Nola look like. Finally. They're such good actors. Yeah. Like Samantha Egger and Oliver Reed make this movie. Yeah. Their characters are incredible. Just the way that they, and the way that they role play with each other. Like they have such really good, they have just great chemistry. Yeah. In this film. That is like not sexual at all. No, it's not. Which is very rare for men and women to be on screen together and not be family members and not have some sort of, like, underlying sexual tension. Well, she's probably got some, like, dirt on him from growing up in, like, um, uh, Bumblefield Bluebell. Buckinghamshire? Buckinghamshire. (laughs) Well, the other thing, too, is, like, I was thinking about Oliver Reed's character as a queer character. Yeah. And I could be like super projecting, obviously. I don't know. I think it's time. I think we've cracked the code. Here. Yeah, and I feel like they're they're the tension between them is very interesting. Like right. their relationship, like it's a muse creator relationship. It's mm-hmm. also like a father daughter relationship, and it's also got like some element of sexuality to it, but not in the traditional sense maybe it seems like in terms of like power dynamics it does seem like there is like a mutual respect there yes um so that they're like the and they are dressed kind of similarly yes they're constantly visually linked to each other in the film and this sort of like angelic kind of moment where you can like take these like medium shots um but yeah i mean like they i think that she she's like definitely all in on this therapy yeah and meanwhile back with candace and grandma oh yeah grandma's showing candy a photo of (laughs) nola as a little girl in the hospital she tells candy that sometimes nola would wake up in the morning and be covered in bumps and no doctor could figure it out so this is where we start wondering like is this some psychoplasmic stuff or was she being beaten as a child and the grandma is like gaslighting everyone and you know yeah saying like oh she's just waking up with all these bumps also like 
like, who takes pictures of somebody in the hospital? Yeah, that's really strange, too. I mean, like, I was, like, thinking about, like, oh, like, we framed this picture of your mother after she was beaten and, like, woke up in the hospital. It's very strange. And the mom, the grandma's, like, smiling in the photo. (laughs) And Nola's, like, in bed sick. It's so strange. It's very creepy. So something starts kicking through the window in the kitchen. But you know what's also interesting about that is that now that I think about it, we've never seen her out of a hospital bed. No. The entire we don't, film. Yeah, we so only even see in Nola pic- in an institute. Yeah, yeah, so like even in the picture, she's like in a bed institutionalized. Yeah. So, okay, so something starts kicking through the window. Oh, yeah. And Grandma goes to the kitchen to investigate and is attacked violently and killed by this unseen creature in a red hoodie. It's like a very brutal murder. Uh, and Candy finds her grandma's body and sees the, the little creature in the hoodie who leaves these bloody hand marks on the stairs. <laughs> so the other thing we found out, and I'm just going to look this up very quickly. Pause this. And description wise, the the creature that does the murder is about the same size as Candy. Yeah, and has blonde hair like Candy. And has blonde hair. So something that we found out, which I had kind of suspected uh, before rewatching this movie, is that the main creature, the main broodlet, Mm -hmm. is played by a little person, an actor named Felix Sila. And Felix, uh, he has a background in the the circus, in Barnum and Bailey shows. He was a bareback rider and a trapeze artist and a tumbler. And he started doing a film in like the early 60s. So uh, I thought that was important to talk about because uh, little people who have traditionally played roles like this uh, are not given the credit and the respect that they deserve. No. And like what an impressive background to have. So shout out to Felix. Yeah. It's always a question when there's a murderous child, like who will play the murderous child. Yeah. Um, and like I just feel like we should get other murderous children to play their own, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the way that they were talking about the casting of the brood creature in the documentary we watched was so like old school and not right. politically correct in any way. Um, they it, were like, yeah, it was from the old days when uh, people used to hang out in a hotel. It was just very like a bunch of old was it the, talking yeah, they, about it. They had yeah. like found him in a hotel. Like he, he was working he in was a hotel. He was working in a hotel and like telling yeah. people he was an actor and trying to get bit yeah. roles. Yeah. So that's yeah. how Felix came to be involved in this production. Yeah. Which is just like, and then one of the things they kept reiterating in the documentary too is which what a small production team that they had where, you know, maybe like seven or eight people on set. Um, and it's just like kind of interesting to think about like these, them going out into the streets to cast um, people to play these broodlet little broodies. Um, yeah. What city was this filmed in? Good question. Oh my God. <laughs> the basic Canada one Canada street (laughs) um I don't know okay Uh, the first person to call in with the answer wins Toronto 
This is what I was thinking. Shout yeah. out, Britney. <laughs> Our friend who lives in Toronto is distantly related to David Cronenberg. I, I, I need to know what the exact connection is. But yeah. we, we do have a... Um, we'll a, ask a, her. How many? We're removed closely. So... A police uh, Candy finds her grandma's body and sees the creature, which we talked about. A police officer tells Frank that they found the body and that Candy was found upstairs sleeping in this deep trauma sleep. This curly-haired psychologist at the at the police station tells Frank that he thinks Candy is traumatized by the incident, no shit, and that Candy doesn't remember anything. He says Frank should encourage her to remember. And Frank is like, why should I get her to remember if she doesn't remember it? So I, I wanted to talk about what what do we we talked about this a little bit already. Yeah. Like Frank is a character like he's so just kind of emotionless. And I think I mean, David Cronenberg is roasting himself a little bit, too, because Frank is so out of touch right. with his emotions and how to process any kind of deep trauma. But it's like kind of like it's like things are just happening and Frank is there. Yeah. To like witness. It's like he has no real control or anything over or over what's happening. And he's just like a witness to it. But doesn't like but with the with a certain sense of apathy, like doesn't further. Like like we said earlier, like invest time in spending time with Candy or doesn't further like like try to get his. Um, ex-wife out of the program like he is just like there to witness he's like given up on Nola yeah he's just worried about Candy at this point he thinks Nola like is he right (laughs) is he really yeah so Nola tries to call Frank but Chris the twink takes the phone away (laughs) says she's in isolation Uh, uh, uh. Nola says that Frank thinks she's turning into her mother and is trying to make candy into baby Nola. Interesting. And Hal role plays with Nola as Nola's daddy. <laughs> Nola cries about how her dad didn't protect her from her mother's abuse. Mm. So we learn more about that family situation. Yeah. And. Which is sort of like the same thing that's happening with Frank. Like, yeah. he's not protecting his daughter from the mother's abuse. Yeah, so it's like, he's trying to, but yeah. he's not really, you know. Yeah. Well, it's like, you know, like, he... He doesn't talk to his kid yeah. about it or anything. Yeah. Like, There's this, like, awkward scene early on, and before it's before he goes to the lawyer, and he's photographing the bruises on Candy's Yeah, back. it's actually the next scene where he's, oh, it Frank is, is taking of, um. F- photos of her back yeah it's very creepy yeah well we can get into that well i just have the note here that it's very creepy (laughs) (laughs) but it's like i think it's creepy because of the the level of engagement um she's like standing in this window i think like combing a doll's hair or something and he is and like her Her dress is down yeah her dress is down off her shoulders like folded down and it's like very like beautiful like angelic child in this like little a little bit like fetishy kind of way yeah and then he's really like disengaged with her and he's like photographing her to while she's playing yeah photographing these like bruises um and it's yeah it is this like awkward like there i just feels like this like disconnect it's very much like 
Hal and Frank treat these girls and women right. like subjects yeah. of something. Yeah, of um, the of the great experiment called life. Yeah, of the great experiment called life. <laughs> <laughs> so Frank picks Nola's father, Barton, up from the airport, oh who's God, like an Barton. old drunk. Yeah. And uh, Candy is in a red snowsuit that looks like what the creatures are wearing. Yeah. So it's very visually linked. Yeah. Frank visits a man named Jan Hartog, a former patient of Dr. Raglan. Oh, my God. And Hartog is quite a character. Who's he played by? Good question. Let's look. Because it's a very memorable performance. He's very good. I think he's also in Scanners, also as a crazy person. Robert A. Silverman. Mm-hmm. As, yeah, Jan Hartog. Well done. Yeah. He's also really good in this. Um, he is a... Uh, very bitter former patient of Dr. Raglan. Um, he's got this hideous growth on his neck <laughs> caused by a f- form of lymphatic cancer that he believes was induced by Raglan mm-hmm. during psychoplasmic sessions. And we just want to touch that that big old growth. Yeah. I mean, there's just this like, just this little teaser of like Cronenberg grossness. Yeah. That like, that, and it's like a flash, like this man is walking around the hospital room. He's got with, this like, like big wrap around his neck. Yeah, so like a towel. To hide it. Yeah. And he's also like sweating a lot. He's sweating so a lot. His voice. Like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's and just, just so like, gross. And then there's just this moment where he gives like a little like he opens up his collar and like the towel and just gives you this like quick flash of his like chin growth. Yeah. And like it's just like sweaty and wrinkly. Oh my god. You just want to touch it. You just want to touch it. Yeah. I mean yeah. maybe that's just us, but I mean yeah. I just want to <laughs> Yeah, and yeah. Cron- Cronenberg too. Probably. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Cronenberg's like gross gross out shit I always just want to touch it yeah (laughs) but then so yeah let me touch that gross (laughs) but another yeah another like another physical um manifestation of trauma of trauma yes is that does that even happen when you have lymphatic cancer no I mean that's internal I would think, I mean, like, I've never. Yeah, but there's these grow. I don't know. Yeah, interesting. I felt like that was, like, some, that was just, like, the plasmics. Okay, yeah. That's what I always felt. Okay, yeah. It's just the plasmics. I don't even, I mean, I'm saying that wrong every time. Just the plasmics. That's just some of the plasmics. Frank leaves disturbed. Mm. (laughs) Barton goes to Soma Free to see Nola. He's drinking in his car. But Raglan turns him away. He hasn't told Nola that her mother is dead, and he says he's not going to because it will disrupt her therapy. And Barton is very upset about this. This was an interesting scene because I felt like the both of these men are so toxic to Nola. Mm-hmm. Like Raglan is sort of protecting her from somebody he knows is toxic mm-hmm. to her, but he's not much better. Yeah, like hiding her mother's death from her, right? Is terrible it's just another person it's like now the manipulation is becoming like is 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 becoming like a greater like his he's prote- he's like protecting her for the experiment yeah not as like not as human yeah. anymore now that these like human issue has like a like arisen right 
Frank invites Candace's teacher, Ruth Mayer, 70s babe. Oh my God, hell yeah. Home for dinner to discuss his daughter's performance at school. Yeah, he did. And at dinner, Ruth says Candy needs mothering. Oh my God, so sexy. <laughs> he says... He got involved. This is when I was like, oh, this is what he really fucking thinks of his wife. He got involved with a woman who married him for his sanity, hoping it would rub off. That's what he says to Ruth. Oh, it's so rude. And Ruth is like, you're an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, that crazy bitch is the most interesting thing about you. <laughs> and that is such a terrible thing to say. Yeah. To a stranger. Barton interrupts with a drunken phone call from Juliana's home demanding the grandma demanding that they both go to Soma free to see Nola. Frank leaves uh, to console Barton, leaving Candace in Ruth's care again, pawning her off on another woman. Yeah, he leaves her this book. He's like, here, read this. He's like such an asshole in this scene. He leaves her this book called The Shape of Rage. Is that Hal's book? I don't know. I, it's not uh, it's not clear. I'm sure that's probably how. Yeah, that's what I'm going to assume. At his old house, Barton wanders around drunk and depressed. He traces his wife's ex-body outline on the floor. Oh, my God, which was so great because, like, nobody knew how to do any curves and tape. So it's very, like, boxy. Yeah. Kind of like a Lego. Yes. And suddenly a creature creeps out from under one of the beds and attacks Barton. And it's this deformed childlike creature that looks like a monstrous version of Candy. Meanwhile, Frank arrives to find Barton murdered by the same deformed creature who dies after attempting to kill Frank. The detective tells him that he thinks that Juliana the grandma had a deformed child locked up in the attic that was up there the whole time, and that's what murdered her. Okay. That's... (laughs) They write that off way too quickly. They're like, yeah, deformed kid in the attic. Wait, whose deformed kid is this? They think the grandma had this deformed child locked up in the house, and that's who killed her, and like also killed Barton. Because the child, the creature dies. Yeah. So they take it to be autopsy. Yeah. No, no, no. I just like, I didn't. Yeah. Okay. So that's what they think. That's who they think the creature is. Yeah. You're like, yeah, probably. Like, they probably just had some kid in the attic for years. Yeah. Which they like fed fish heads to. Yeah. And like, it finally lost its mind. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I have one in my attic. (laughs) I'm so excited to release it. (laughs) Yeah. That's their go to theory. That's their working theory at this point. (laughs) <laughs> so that's the other thing too is like how demonized the women are too yeah. in this movie it's like oh she probably had this deformed kid in the attic yeah it's her own fault yeah that she was murdered right exactly so while he is away ruth answers a phone call from nola who recognizing her voice and believing her to be carrying on an affair with frank insults her and angrily warns her to stay away from her family she's nuts on the phone it's very funny she's like get the fuck away from my family <laughs> <laughs> Such good acting. That is a really good phone call. Yeah, and Ruth is very disturbed. Yeah, she whips out a cigarette. The the police autopsy the creature child and reveal a multitude of bizarre anatomical anomalies. Oh my god, did you write some of them down? Mm-hmm. The creature is asexual, mm. like not <laughs> not identity wise, but like doesn't have any sexual organs. Is supposedly colorblind, naturally toothless, and has a beak-like gum situation. Oh my God, I love a good beak gum. <laughs> Devoid of a navel. Yeah. Um, indicating that there's no known means of natural human birth. Yeah. And there, uh, the scene also takes place in this like hot 
pink yeah lighting in the morgue yeah so you can't like really see the body at all yeah because it's dark yeah and the doc the doctor doing the autopsy also explains that there's like a sack of gas in between the creature's shoulder blades or something, which is like how it lives. I don't know. It doesn't make the any shoulder sense. Sack? The thing, the thing that is so funny about the little documentary we watched is this man was like, you know, Cronenberg is like part director, part scientist. You know, like he's got a lot of science in his films, and it's like, you mean made up science? Like it's sci-fi. Like he's not a scientist. I don't. Know. I just think it's so funny how men get to be like. He's a, he's an artist, but he's also a scientist. Like he's a genius. Like yeah, he's, he's he is a genius. He's an artistic genius, but he made up the science. <laughs> it's like, completely made up. Yeah, like, it's not probable. <laughs> But, like, what were they saying about that stink sack? That that's what, like, keeps the creature going and it, like, deflated when it died or something. Oh. Is that how you kill it? I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Science. It I did really... see the science behind this. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, so, Nola role plays with Raglan again. With Raglan as Ruth. Ruth Mayer. Mm-hmm. And she insists that her and Frank could be happy again if she would just go. If Ruth would just go away. Yeah. So we know that that's probably the next person to die. Yeah. (laughs) So, I mean, and she's so possessive, Nola. And, like, Frank clearly does not care about her or love her anymore. And we just see that she's, like, this crazy, castrating woman. Yeah. So Barbara... With a phone. With a phone. (laughs) So Barbara Creed wrote this book called The Monstrous Feminine. Have you read it? Um... Maybe parts of it. I've read parts of it, yeah. Yeah, it's very, very good. And she talks a lot about this film. And basically, like, the figure... So her whole thing is, like, modern psychology. Freud has told us that women... uh, Men are afraid of women because they are, like, castrated men. Mm -hmm. And that women have, like, penis envy. Or women with vaginas have penis envy, whatever. So... But Barbara Creed says that actually men are not afraid of women because they're castrated. They're afraid of cis women because they are castrating. Mm-hmm. And that is kind of her theory about this film mm-hmm. is like Nola is this castrating monstrous figure. Mm-hmm. Um, and as we'll see, we'll talk more about that at the end mm-hmm. with the big the big reveal. So... Frank finally gets the fuck home. (laughs) How long has he been gone? And Ruth dodges and tells him to fuck off, basically. And is like, yeah, she's like, your life is too complicated for me right now. Bye. Yeah, she's like, I got a call from your crazy wife. I am leaving. (laughs) So I've been here for hours. Uh, Frank comforts Candy, who's obviously extremely traumatized, and tells her that the creature is dead. She can relax. Chill out. And she cries in his arms. It's very sad. After the murder story reaches the newspapers, Raglan reluctantly acknowledges that the murders coincide with his sessions with Nola, Mm -hmm. relating to their respective topics that they talk about. So, like, each person dies whenever she talks about them. He closes Soma free and sends his patients to municipal care, with the exception of Nola. Of course. Of course. His prized peace. Michael, the patient from the beginning, obviously doesn't want to leave. 
No, no, no. He's super regressed, Michael. Oh, and I yeah. have to wonder if he's always been like this. Daddy, or- daddy, daddy. <laughs> or if Hal has just completely made him regress. Because honestly, it seems like Hal makes people more unwell. Like, yeah. Nola is so unwell yeah. at this point. It's like, we don't know if the therapy works. Yeah. We just know that it does something. Right. Yes, exactly. It gets results, but are they good results? <laughs> to what end? <laughs> to what end? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, just as an aside, you know, that uh, Woody Allen's memoir is, like, not being published yeah. because Hatchet Publishing, the workers, walked out and refused to publish it. That's amazing. Which is great. And Stephen King, being the old coot he is, <laughs> on Twitter was like, I just worry about censorship. And people were like, it's not censorship to say, like, we don't want to pay for your book. Oh, Stephen King. I know. And then fucking Joyce Carol Oates uh-huh. retweeted something and was like, yes, the protests worked. But to what end? <laughs> like, OK, JCO, you really thought you were saying something very profound there. I just keep thinking about that. Freedom of speech. To what, what but to what end? Like, she thought she was being so provocative. <laughs> It's all going to shit when you can't let a fucking criminal post about his rape. I mean, like, it's ridiculous. It's not. That's not censorship. Anyway. So Frank is alerted of the closure of Soma Free by Jan Hartog, our friend with the neck growth. And Michael is now staying in the same building as Hartog. And Frank uh, and he introduces Frank to Michael. And Michael is so good in this movie. We should actually look up who the actor is. Gary McKeehan. He's very good in this role. Mm -hmm. Um, He has this great part in this scene where he's talking about how uh, Nola is Raglan's queen bee. Yeah. She was born to prove that psychoplasmics is the ultimate therapeutic device. And he's whining about his daddy issues. He begs. This is so interesting. He begs Frank to be his daddy. I'll make a deal with you. Just be my daddy. I'll bleed for you. Which is so fucking kinky. Yeah, it's hot. Yeah, it is hot. Yeah. Be my daddy. I'll bleed for you. Yeah. He says he knows I am addicted to him and he doesn't care. Am I just a pervert or is this extremely gay? No, it's all there. Yeah. It's all there. Yeah. It's really gay. Yeah. Yeah. And Oliver Reed, I guess, and the, Hal Raglan is a bis- manipulative bisexual icon. But it's also very, like, it's very, like, um, like the boys have daddy issues and the girls have mommy issues. It's very gendered. It is very gendered, yeah. But Nola also has daddy issues. She does have daddy. Yeah. I mean, But yeah, her but, main but issues are with her mother. But they're still based around her mother. Yes, yeah. Like, her father never beat her. She was just mad that her father didn't protect her from her mother's beatings. But it was still centered around... Yeah. And it's also a commentary on modern psychology, too, mm-hmm. where he's like, he knows I'm addicted to him. It's like, yeah. You know, how are you going to be able to do this treatment without Dr. Raglan? Like, you right. can't. Right. He's the one who does it. He's the one person who does it. Yeah. So Michael is now covered in lesions after his outburst. He, he can't. The other thing about the psychoplasmics thing is it seems that once it's unleashed, people can't control it. Mm -hmm. Like, it just starts happening whenever they get upset Mm -hmm. and psychologically activated. Mm -hmm. So 
right, is that actually working? Like, just because you're making somebody's trauma manifest physically, does that mean it's actually helping them? Do you have any physical manifestations that happen when you get really upset? Yes, I have a pimple that forms on my face. (laughs) No, I'm dead ass. Yeah, like, I have one of my... Uh, I have a pimple that like forms on my forehead. My my abusive ex used to tell me that when we were having a fight, it would just like form. Oh my god! Do you have anything like that? Yeah, like like a hemorrhoid. Yeah, that's yeah. I mean, but just like that's like (laughs) no, no. But for real though, like we underestimate how much. I love that you're on my podcast talking about your hemorrhoids. I know. I was like, I could just be real and talk about like this is people weird. do not talk about their hemorrhoid issues enough. It's I real. get hemorrhoids when I'm stressed, fucking stressed out. I think like, everybody gets stuff like that, and we don't talk about it. Yeah, and we we have compartmentalized so successfully as a yeah. Western society that like your mental issues are separate right. from your physical issues, but yeah. it's all intertwined so oh, intimately. Yeah. I can barely function when yeah. I'm stressed. Yeah. Like it's not, and it's not something that you can will away. Yeah. Like your body just does it. Yeah. It's, yeah. Your body is smarter than you. And it knows what it has to do yeah, to stay some alive. Type of, yeah, it's like all about survival. Exactly. Like for whatever reason, when I'm stressed and anxious, like my stomach hurts and that like affects my digestion, which affects like my roids, my hemorrhoids. <laughs> my roids. And then I get my roid rage. Well, it's kind of like how diets don't work because your body doesn't know what a diet is. Yeah. It just knows that you're starving. Right. So it doesn't know like, oh, I'm trying to lose weight. So I'm yeah. dieting. <laughs> like it just thinks you're starving. Yeah. It's a very primal thing. Yeah. Like you're body is a lot smarter than you i really like this episode and like this like diving into like sharing about mental health well that's what i'm that's what i'm trying to cultivate here because it is really like what this movie is about too yeah like and and this perception of mental health yes and i don't actually even know what the movie is trying to say about mental health exactly um i just know that it explores a lot of interesting things yeah. related to how these things manifest yeah. physically. I also feel like Cronenberg probably went to some like couples therapy and was like totally thinking about something else, like making this film during yeah. couples yeah, therapy. They were in couples of- therapy and he was like, what if somebody had a ball sack like growth on their neck? <laughs> Anything's more interesting than this. <laughs> but I mean, it's kind of um an indictment of therapy in yeah. a way. Um, very, but also kind of a progressive view of therapy and right. in acknowledging that mental stress can manifest physically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all very. There's a lot here. There's so much here. Yeah, there really is. And feel free to continue to talk about our mental health issues. I don't mind doing that. Oh yeah, me neither. I'm an open book, baby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I totally have like physical things that manifest yeah. when I am having like a lot of trauma. Yeah. And it's sometimes it's like a way of like you're alerting yourself to know that there's something up that maybe you should like address um, as well. Yeah. Psychoplasmics, baby. Psychoplasmics. <laughs> Let's start our own Psychoplasmics Institute. <laughs> 
So cut to Raglan, <laughs> 70s hunk in a beige coat with fur trim. Yes, bitch, is my note. <laughs> he has great Bring outfits. Yeah, he really looks like such a hunk in the next scenes. When Candace returns to school, these two creature children attack and kill Ruth in front of her glass oh, and yeah. abscond with Candace to Selma Free. Um, the way that the kids kill is so full of rage and the kids' reactions to the teacher being murdered in front of them are so funny. And like, it's funny because it's so fucked up. Like, the kids are just horrified. Like, I mean, I think this whole movie is just about trauma, right? Like, the yeah. kids are so obviously traumatized by this. Frank finds her body, and it is brutal. Like, he bursts into the classroom. Her body is, like, completely destroyed. Yeah. She's dead as fuck. And the kids yeah. are all sobbing. Um, Did any of the kids try to help her? They didn't. Well, one kid runs out of the building and is like, she fell down. She fell down. Yeah. So one, there's one hero child. Yeah, that just does something where all the other kids are just like. In shock. Yeah. Yeah. Which would be me. Yeah. I'd be like, um. They're like, damn, where those creatures get those snowsuits? (laughs) Cute snowsuits. So Hal wakes Nola up and he's wearing a chunky white turtleneck, <laughs> skin tight, chunky white turtleneck that I'm obsessed with. And Nola is on this like red bed and she's got this angelic white diaphanous oh, get up that is so iconic to this film. Yeah. And Nola tells Hal that she doesn't feel threatened by Ruth anymore. And Hal is oh, interesting. disturbed because he knows that people have been dying. Yeah. He knows what happened. Yeah, exactly. Uh, they go to Nola's apartment, Frank and the cops, to search for Candace, where her and Candace lived before she went to Soma Free. And Frank has this line about, this is where she was for nine months before she went to the Institute, which I feel like has, it's part of David Cronenberg's issues. Yeah, yeah. And then, and he also said that he, it's the first time he'd ever been there. Yeah. So he'd never been in his ex-wife's apartment, which right. was, must have been, in, Yeah. The creature leads Candace by the creatures lead Candace by the hands through the snow to Nola. Um, Frank is bereft back at home. Mike shows up babbling about people following him, and Frank demands information on why Soma Free is closed. And Mike tells him that Raglan is onto a breakthrough with the disturbed kids in the workshed that Nola is taking care of. Ooh. And Frank runs out of the house on his way to Soma Free. Frank sneaks up on Hal by the shed and demands to know where Candace is. And Hal very kind of calmly. This is when Hal's character starts to pivot. Yeah. Where he's like taking a turn, like a what half I wrought. Yeah. Sort of the turn. moment of introspection. Yeah. Where he's like now trying to help Frank. Yeah. I mean, the murder of the school teacher, you know. Yeah. He was like, that's enough. Yeah. Which makes me feel like he is a villain, but not. Right. Like, he does, in the end, Yeah, he realizes that he's wrong. Yeah. Which is nice, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, and he tells Frank to stay calm, because when they confront Nola, she, he, he has to not show her that he's disgusted, because she's dangerous. Yeah. And we, you know, we still don't know exactly why yet. Yeah. And that Hal is going to grab Candace while Frank distracts Nola. It should have gone the other way around. 
Yeah. Because Hal knows how to talk to Nola, right? Like, yeah, what was the what was oh because to I mean was it about engaging with like the creature the creatures like he thought he'd be better with the creatures maybe, um, yeah I mean like but also I really like the idea of be like you're going to see someone just like don't look disgusted, which is interesting. I, I don't know. It just sort of reminds me of like visiting people in right? psychiatric institutions yeah. and like they don't really I mean in my experience they don't super prep you for what you're going what's going to happen. Yeah. For me okay because I've seen some shit. Yeah. But for some other people you should probably be prepped or <laughs> how um you know, I'm laughing, guys, because, like, I've actually experienced this shit. But, like, if you don't have any relationship to this stuff, you shouldn't joke about it. Yeah. Well, I was just thinking of, like, how, how like, I don't know. There's no, like, normalization of, like, somebody who is in, like, any type of care. It's, like, all of a sudden they become this, like, freak. Like, don't look directly at it. Like, yeah. it's, like, why, why aren't maybe if we, like, became more empathetic and, like, normalized these things, like, somebody who is, like, ill... Which is, like, all we know at this point, you know? Right, right. Instead of, like, um, so you're already prepping us um, with this psychology of, like, what is behind the door? What is in the hospital room? What is in this? Right. Well, people are, yeah, people are so, you know, we, I talk about this sometimes on the social media. Mm. People are, we've normalized jokes about, like, being depressed and anxious because everybody at this point has generalized depression and anxiety, but there are still so many mental illnesses that are so stigmatized, as you and I know, very intimately, and, like, as for me, as somebody who has loved and been involved familially and romantically with multiple people with serious mental illnesses that are completely stigmatized right by our culture yeah like we all make jokes on the internet about like oh i want to kill myself but it wasn't until honestly i personally experienced a psychotic episode Mm -hmm. that i understood right like how deeply that shit goes and like how truly alienating having a stigmatized mental illnesses right 100 percent. and people are so scared of people with serious mental illnesses and it's like you know i not and and i historically have not been just because that's who i am as a person but i've seen it yeah people just not knowing how to talk to people who are that mentally ill and it's like also like this idea of putting someone in the category of the other yeah um like you have no like this person is different and you there's nothing relatable about this person instead of like approaching something in in like we have we always have more in common with each other than than differences and it's true. W- doesn't matter what ilk you come from um well it's also scary because it's to people because it's abject yes sort of like how people with disabilities or people who are fat are abject to people because it, it reminds them of their own mortality and of right. the limits of their own body right and it's kind of the same thing with people who are really mentally ill um like it's scary to people because i think a lot of us feel like we're a hair's breadth away from insanity at any point. And then those of us who don't feel like that are scared of it just because yeah, it they don't know any they they're ignorant. Right. And they don't know how to relate to people. Yeah. And it's like, what is the harm yeah. of 
Like if somebody is experiencing delusions, whether they're hallucinations or they're delusions about how everybody's out to get you, it's real to them. Right. So you don't need to believe that it's happening. You just need to believe that it's happening to them. Yeah. So it's... Yeah, I mean, this just kind of reminds these and men how, have no idea. Yeah. Except yeah. Hal knows, but like Frank has no idea how to talk yeah. to, to his wife. No, he has no clue how to talk to her. And and Hal is not prepping him. Yeah. He's just <laughs> yeah. like, don't be disgusted. <laughs> now go. <laughs> so Frank confronts Nola while Hal tries to find and rescue Candace. And he tells her that he loves her. And she's the only woman for him. And she's oh my God. obviously not buying it. Yeah. Because all women know that's bullshit. Yeah. And Nola tells Frank what is happening to her is too strange for her old life. And Frank. Agreed. Right. Frank implores her saying he wants to go on this journey with her. And she's like, so you're ready to see me, Frank? She iconically opens these white robes to reveal these hideous sacks forming all over her body which we learned were made with condoms oh my god and they the sacks contain her rage babies like these physical manifestations of her rage and she's giving birth to them on the outside of her body rage baby life hack it's just, it's just condoms <laughs> beauty hack <laughs> she so barbara creed and the monstrous feminine talks about like how the rage babies nola is creating yeah like physical manifestations of her herself right and killing people with them and how uh afraid the men are in Mm -hmm. the film of this i mean she's just a monster like she's just this castrating yes monster woman who and the process of birth is so terrifying and gross and scary to everybody but especially to cis men Mm -hmm. uh i think it's just like having it be on the outside of the body as opposed to like all the gross and horrifying things that happen inside the body Mm -hmm. is just like this like turning inside out like we get Mm -hmm. to see how scary and horrible david cronenberg thinks birth is (laughs) (laughs) yeah and to also see to her, like, get to this, like, point in her therapy where you're, like, seeing her give birth. But it's, like, she really, like, looks like some type of, like, goddess. She does. I think she looks incredible. Yeah. It's, like, it's like amazing. Yeah. Like, you could build, like, a statue and, like, worship uh, it with, like, her holding up her robe, a robe and having these, like, sacks there. And then you think about, like, the manipulation of men that men have had on her life to get her to this like cr- this like next like so extra like next yeah. level point yeah um but yeah she tears open one of the sacks with her teeth yeah and this fetus comes out and she starts licking it like in this primal way like an animal like cleaning its young and uh that was samantha egger's suggestion oh my god it was like her fucking dream come true yeah she just was like, yeah. And she said that when Cronenberg screened the film to, like, all the male producers, that they were, like, horrified. That, like, some of them had to leave to go throw up. Yeah. Which is so funny to me. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's what disgusts men the most. Yeah. It's just, like, a woman's body. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> but was what was what I also noticed that was like you do not there's no breasts. No, it's just condom sacks. Oh, just condom sacks. Like she's completely besides the like uterus growing. Like there's like no um there's no breastfeeding. There's no like titty bounce. Mm-hmm. There's just like which I think is kind of like t- like the removal of that is interesting. Yeah. Yeah, and then she just drops the robe. Yeah. So iconic. Yeah, yeah. Such an amazing scene. This is the scene that's in 100 Scariest Movie Moments. Yeah. And she loved that character. You can tell. Like, she, she was yeah, just, like, she's, she's just, like, in it. Yeah. Nola is upset that Frank is horrified. Because <laughs> he's like, oh, God, Nola. And she's like, I, I disgust you. Yeah, she's like, oh, no. <laughs> I disgust you. You hate me. <laughs> Which is something I say, like, probably, like, in every relationship, <laughs> to be honest. You, I disgust you. Every time I lick my child. Every time I lick the blood off. Every time you lick cream puff. That's <laughs> just how she I disgust it. you. <laughs> so Nola is upset that Frank is horrified, which activates the rage babies <laughs> who attack Hal. And Hal, in a moment of clarity, like knowing that he's caused all of this, sacrifices himself. Oh my god. To save Candy. Just like such a hero. Yes. Like I can't get over what a hero he is. Love, love him. But this is my favorite fun, this is my favorite fun fact of production Please fun tell fact. us, yeah. Okay, so um, Hal, who's attacked by all these, these this like army of like rage, rage children, um, they were actually all played by a local gym, like young girls gymnastic troupe. Um, and they said in the documentary that their parents were actually like on set, like taking their little like gymnastic child and like chucking them at <laughs> Hal, who was like fighting them off in this like pretty like violent scene yeah. with all of these like tiny but little he would gymnasts. he said he was like banging the children against his body <laughs> just like covered in little girls yeah like acting like they were hurting him so bizarre and then they put the sound effects over it yeah it's so funny it's just like movie magic at its best it really it's, like, is you know that like without like the editing and just like the raw footage of that scene must have been like classic so hilarious film (laughs) so good so nola screams that she'd rather kill candy than let frank take her so she's become this toxic mother yeah toxic smothering mother yeah um the ultimate evil yeah and the rage babies start to attack candy and Frank demands that Nola stop the rage babies and tries to choke her. Mm. And she says, laughing, kill me, kill me. Mm-hmm. Do it, baby. And then Frank strangles and kills Nola. Yeah. Very disturbing. I honestly find this to be an indictment of men. Yeah. <laughs> like, in a way, I think the movie is very um, misogynist. And when I say that, I don't say it in the typical, like, identity sort of politics way that we talk about it like i think i love this movie right i think that the movie is is massage is both misogynist and an indictment of misogyny right and i find that to be very interesting right um anyway well like we were just saying i mean there's just like a lot to like peel back and kind of like think about in all these different ways but like you know 
ultimately, like, he has to kill her. Like, there is no other way to deal with this situation. There's no other possible way he could (laughs) possibly deal with this situation. Yeah. Besides killing her. Yeah, and or or that's what he feels like yes. is the way to deal with it. And I mean, I think it's also telling because that is a really common way that men kill their female partners mm. is by strangling them. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's just very it's upsetting. It's, it's yeah, you and it's also like legitimized. Yes, you're like he has is. nothing else. Like there's no like he couldn't have roofied her, and maybe like the rage babies could have like gotten knocked out for a little while. I mean, there's just like there's. I'm this, not rooting for either of them. I mean, but I don't know if that's just me. I think like I think like thinking about this idea of like the justification of him like murdering her, right? Which is super misogynist. Yeah, and yeah. and sort of like in a way like going back to like thinking about Cronenberg's own like special journey, like the justification of like of like this woman joining this cult. And, like, it, it has nothing to do with her mental health. It has to do with, like, saving the child. And, right. like, which is, like, essentially, like, his offspring. Like, it's his. Um, so there's, like, I mean, like, and I don't know, obviously, like, 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 Cronenberg makes up science. We make up facts about Cronenberg. I don't know, like, what was going on in his personal life. But, like, you do see this, like, this, like, this is all kind of legitimized by, um, how horrible Nola was. Like, yeah. what a monster she was. Yeah. Is this whole story. Yeah. Absolutely. Monstrous feminine. Frank finds all this carnage. Mm. All the rage babies are dead, as well as Hal. Mm-hmm. And he finds Candy alive. Mm-hmm. Somehow. And somehow. The, what vestiges of her sanity are left. Yeah. And Frank carries a visibly traumatized Candy back to his car, and the two depart. And as they sit in silence, these two small lesions <sighs> appear on Candace's arm. Yeah. So the cycle continues. The cycle continues. So was can okay, was Nola always having psychoplasmic manifestations? Was her mother beating her? It's all so vague. Mm. Like how how is Candy developing these lesions without how bringing them forth it's like that's just always been in these women yeah it's like passed down trauma it's It's passing down trauma it's passing down trauma that's what I was thinking and like this idea of like even like reflecting back to the earlier picture of um Nola in the hospital as a child she has the same like blonde hair and bangs she looks exactly like the child so it's like they are the same and this idea that like they will he will never escape the trauma that this woman put on his child. Yeah. And that it will always be there. Um, I was also thinking about that medical bill. That, like, Sonoma, like... Sonoma? Sonoma Sonoma. William Sonoma? That William Sonoma Sonoma medical bill. Um, Private institution, mental health care. Oh, yeah. Are they rich? Like, what? (laughs) Um, anyway, yeah, how do you feel about that ending? (sighs) I mean, it's, I mean, I find it very profound, like, how Candy is now taking on her mother's trauma, but I also find it incredibly misogynist. Yeah. 
Um, I mean, it's just, yeah, it's a lot, a lot going on. A lot going on in this movie. A lot going on. <laughs> so, any closing thoughts about the brood? Um, do you think you can make the brood today? No. Mm. I mean, they were saying in the documentary, they were like, you can never make it now. But I don't think that's true, maybe. I mean, marriage story was (laughs) the same shit. Like, he went through a divorce. He made a misogynist movie about it. Yeah, it's so true. I was thinking about that. Did you see it? Yeah. Oh, my God. I couldn't watch it. It's. I could barely get through it. I mean, it's just like Scarlett Johansson's haircut is just like the opposite of Ruth's haircut in um, (laughs) Ruth's school teacher's cool mullet is nothing. Like, anyway. Um... No, I was yeah, I was I was thinking about that. I mean, we were like joking about like remakes of of these old films because everyone needs to recycle things, and like there's just like also like an evil child genre of film too, which I think is interesting. Yeah, I just don't think that we're that interested in that stuff as a culture right now. Right. I think everything now is about like end times and pandemics, yeah, and. Um, in the sci-fi genre, that is. Yeah. Like, there's not a lot of space for things like this at the moment. But I do highly recommend it. I mean, I think, like, actually, like, picking it apart and thinking about all, like, the idea of, like, what the perception perceptions of mental health and control and, like, power dynamics and ex-wives. Yeah. Chin growths. Chin growths. Gills. Gills. There's just not a lot of good body horror these days. Yeah. I think it, like, also goes back to, like, just, like, really loving this body horror. Yeah, I love body horror. It's like, if this aesthetically, I mean, like, going, like, the aesthetics of this movie. Yes. I'm always, like, searching for something like this movie. I'm always like, I want to watch something like The Brood. I know. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Or, like, the first time you watched The Brood when you were like, whoa, what did I just say? Yeah, exactly. And you knew it was, like, special. Like, that experience. Yeah. It's a special movie. So, Liz, yeah. where can people find you on social media? Oh, my God. Um, you, My Instagram is at Otizil, which is my name backwards. Um, so, at otiz.zil. Um, and, yeah, I am, like, posting a lot of, like, I also post a lot about, like, horror movies and, th- and like, cinema that I am interested in and um, all types of art things. And, Yeah. Follow me. Follow Liz. Into the apocalypse. (laughs) (laughs) We're still going to be talking about movies. I know. (laughs) What else is there to do? And you know where to find me, Instagram and Twitter, Girls Guts Giallo. You can follow me on Patreon and get bonus content at patreon.com slash girlsgutsgiallo. And I'll see y'all next week. See y'all. Thanks, Annie. Thank you.